0: Three nights ago. Oh, yeah. Wasn't very good. She was wearing braces. Come to ribbons. Which is why ah, he's d- only got one nipple. Facts. Oh. Yeah. See that? Is that the one? that got that's nothing. Thanks for doing that on national <laughs> TV. <laughs> no, I just think it's good because be oh, it on your Wikipedia page. an operation went wrong. Babe station for terrorists. That'll be cracking, eh? Bin Laden, ring straight in. Hello? Big boy, what's your name? summer uh, Leo and Penelope won't be able to mask. No, Penelope does mask, of course she does. Oh, come on then, give me an example.
1: Everything in Penelope's behaviour is mimicked, and it's learnt behaviour
0: and copied, and if she... Yeah, but that's not masking, is it? See the fella sat right out here. Look at his earth coat, he must be a queer. Oh, yeah!
2: do? I'm Jackie Lewis Evans. How do? My name is Sean Morley, and welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party Season 3. It's actually Dink Dank Do. What? Paddy's catchphrase is Dink Dank Do, but spelled with one I can't believe I've been
3: Mandela-affected
2: for... Paddy Law. How
3: do you know this?
2: Well, it always sounds like he's saying ding-dang-doo, but if you actually look on um, Peter Kay's e-store from about 10 years ago, they were selling ding-dang-doo mugs right. and T-shirts for about 18 quid. Yeah. Um, but the original person who said... It's not his catchphrase originally. Mm-hmm. It was originally the catchphrase of Dave Hickson, commentator for Bolton Wanderers, and Paddy saw lifted it off of him.
3: Why do you know this? Why do you know this?
2: For about... The last year, I have been nursing a terminal Paddy McGuinness obsession. Why? In 2006, Paddy became a millionaire through the worst stand-up tour in history. Um, in his second tour, he stops the show midway through to play a Greg's advert.
3: No, no, Sean. I'm not asking you for more Paddy Law. I'm asking why you know this. Why have you accumulated this knowledge? Why are you, Sean Morley, compelled to
2: learn about Paddy McGuinness? He released an autobiography last year, and it's amazing. It's like a rosetta stone into every selfish arsehole I have ever met.
3: i mean, Let's spin up the Rando's machine and run a full diagnostic on this guy.
2: Calibrating. Set, Set parameter. parameter. Type, Type of guy. guy. Uh, just an, an arsehole. Asshole subtype. Normal. Normal, Normal arsehole, arsehole calibrated. calibrated.
0: Searching. Searching. Patty, Patty McGinnis, McGinnis found.
2: found. Okay, while the machine's
3: doing its thing, I just want to say Thank you to those of you who support our work over on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party. We really appreciate it. We uh, put bonus little chunks on there. This thing's getting
2: really hot, uh, Chad. Yeah, do you, do you want to do something about social media? Oh, social media's dead. The billionaires have destroyed it. Just tell your friends verbally. Oh, it is quite hot. <laughs> Uh-oh, Jesus.
0: <laughs> oh, I think this is beautiful. It's nice. Ah, ah, it's this is nice. This is nice. This is the dog. Yeah, that's what it's like,
2: did you know that Paddy McGuinness laid a majority of the flooring of the cells in the maximum security wing of Strange Ways Prison? I'm immediately sceptical of this. Who's the source? Paddy McGuinness. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, there's enough mm. padding around it and context mm. okay. that even as someone who believes that Paddy might be um, a pathological liar, mm. I do believe this fact. I trust you, It's judgment. rendered mundane by the sheer quantity of chapters Mm. around which time he is someone who lays commercial flooring for a mm. nondescript company based in Bolton. In a prison? Well, yeah, they need floors, right? Those prisoners will fall into the centre of the earth. How are they going to be reformed? Is it special floor? I Actually, I don't think so. I don't think they really are worried about prisoners digging out. I think digging out more of a myth. Have you seen the floor in the Star Wars show Andor Prison? Uh,
3: no, I haven't really seen a lot of Star Wars. Uh, I you? recommend Andor. Mando's recommended Andor. For the floor? Andor. For the floor, as you call it, and floor, there's a lot going on in that show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a delayed. You and had that, that pinned, it's like oh somehow you had it God. in your short term memory. But oh. I'll look at that in a
2: second. <laughs> my brain never seen a delay like that. You kept your thought all the way to yeah. the end, yeah. I really want to clarify. It. And I'm going to keep that in the cage with the sound. That wasn't like lag that <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like lag. <laughs> the lag was in your brain. Yeah. I think my brain's doing that more, and I'm worried. What it means, anyway? But it's impressive. Case. You can you can hold a cue. Honestly, that's actually. Insane! You've heard it, and it literally goes in a queue without even registering the meaning of the sounds. They're just held there.
3: Yeah, I've been researching this. I think it's something to processing issues or something. We're well, not going to. <laughs> I think it's an issue. I
2: think it's uh, an evolution of human rights. I think I might be devolving. Yeah, you're saying I need to go to a doctor. I'm saying, look, you, you're, you're, you're the best listener I've ever heard. You're still talking. You heard everything I said, and then you're amused by it. This um, is like the best conversation I've had in my life. <laughs> I think if we keep going in this trajectory, we can have it where we just both are constantly talking, but still happily participating in a shared conversation.
3: (laughs) Sometimes someone says a thing, and then I hear something completely insane. So then I say what I think I've heard back. Mm. Most of the time, that's definitely not what they've said, but my brain hasn't taken it in. That annoys people. So instead of checking what they've
2: said, I now just ask them to repeat it. Do you have a um, maximum amount of times you'll ask someone to repeat something before you just- Give up. pull yeah. it off. pull uh, it off, go to the bathroom. Yeah.
3: Pretend you've understood it as well,
2: because it's yeah. awkward to oh, yeah. still not understand it. But then the moment you've pretended you've understood it- Trapped. I catastrophize in my mind. Yeah. And I have to leave the situation. Yeah, what have I agreed so to So someone do? says, and I remember when I was at university, there was someone who was was in like one of the student societies who wouldn't talk over a whisper and i'd always just do oh come again sorry one more time and i go oh yeah yeah and then i just have to leave who knows what i've agreed to something awful maybe sean i'm going to kill someone i need your help yeah we're all actually going to kill ourselves when the Mayan apocalypse happens and we're going to do it uh we're just saying we're doing it to raise awareness of occupy wall street (laughs) are you in (laughs) And then later I'm leaving, find out that's what they were doing. I'm like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great way to go. <laughs> Those fat cats need to learn a lesson. <laughs> they need to
3: learn from our mass suicide. That'll teach them. That'll stop them. The floors
2: so are Rose, yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just think it's funny that some of the most violent people mm. in Manchester, who have been caught, um, are now standing on floors laid by probably the most prominent mm. northern. No, Definitely the most K. prominent northern working class, Peter like TV presenter. Well, no, no, the oh, okay. most prominent yeah, yeah. in the world, oh, but like yeah. on TV, yeah. in actual formal televised entertainment. Yeah, I'm with you. Peter Kay, he just does the comedy, right? Well, he's the biggest stand-up comedian in the UK ever, yeah, 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 ever. Yeah, yeah. he holds global records. Yeah. He sold the most DVDs for a single stand-up tour mm-hmm. ever globally in history. And he sold the most tickets for a single mm-hmm. tour globally in history. Which, considering the population of the UK and his appeal is limited to the UK, I think, by what he chooses to talk about. I can't imagine they're like laughing about dinner ladies in Honduras and stuff. He doesn't travel. He's Peter UK. I don't think he can compete with Peter K overall. Mm. But in terms of like who's on the telly from the north, from a working class background, Paddy. Number one. Imagine being
3: wrongly imprisoned by the UK justice system, or ending up a criminal because the UK fucking doesn't care about you. (laughs) And then, Mm -hmm. as an added thing, to being trapped
2: at the king's pleasure, which is a (laughs) fucking the king is loves to punish you to be here. Yeah. If if Charles ever like lost his concentration, his will manually keeps the lock shut. Yeah. And if he stops thinking, I want them all to be trapped. (laughs) They can
3: all just get out. You know, we didn't actually see the second part of that video. You know, where he gets really angry because he wants that pen out of the way. And he's like, get it, get this pen out of the way. Um, the way that he was actually calmed down is Camilla just went, Charles, Charles, opened um, a little wallet. And inside was a, a photograph of Strange Rose Prison. Just someone in their cell looking really sad. And that cheered him right up. That's what His, His Majesty's
2: Pleasure means. She leaned over it and showed her like Apple smartwatch. Yeah. And then clicked it a couple of times first it was the weather then a calendar and then it's just a live feed in someone in solitary confinement who hasn't spoken to another human being in two weeks and has literally had their lifespan decreased by the lack of vitamin D from the sun and he's like okay I forgive the pen (laughs) (laughs) he cracks a little smile dribbles
1: (laughs) that's a little
3: too much pleasure he's Mm, salivating
2: good Mm, good. Mm, (laughs) Mm, yes trapped (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: you'll,
3: never, you'll never jig through Paddy's floor.
2: I'm obsessed with Paddy. Yeah. Paddy's gotten under my skin in such a big way. Mm-hmm. Just to start off with, Paddy's got like the two big yin and yang, the diametric opposites of the of the Paddy sphere yeah. is that Paddy, constitutionally, is unextraordinary in every mm-hmm. way. He's like every <laughs> arsehole you've ever met. <laughs> He's not particularly villainous. Mm-hmm. He's just a bit of a some dickhead guy. Standard issue arsehole. Yeah. So mm-hmm. nothing like innately of interest about him. He's only rendered it by the fish out of water story of him being placed in such a ludicrous position of prominence. Due to being Peter K's mate. And as much as I think Peter Kay's probably an arsehole as well. Mm-hmm. I don't deny that he's skilled at the thing that he does. Yes, And so Paddy's rendered more interesting because he's just as much, if not more, of a prick. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But he's there through a kind of nepotism, a nepotism which you can't normally be the beneficiary of nepotism when Mm. you're from, like, northern working-class poverty. His lack of self-awareness while being placed in a position where people are normally, like, surrounded with optics and PR stuff, Mm. it comes out in his stand-up DVDs, which are... <laughs> Fucked. And then his autobiography, which I do not believe was ghostwritten. From, like, tone and stuff? Or... I believe it was neatened and edited. Right, yeah, yeah. And took out some of the stuff that I think would have been legally complicated. He talks about, like, when he got off the wagon and stopped mm. taking drugs. Taking drugs? Does he just use the term drugs? Well, no, it's this really weird thing where, like... He talks about going on the lash a few times. Mm. And then there's this one story where he smokes half a joint that someone else left in his house right, and then okay. says, I'm never taking drugs again. You're writing it as though you used to take lots of drugs, but yeah. the story explicitly said, you've literally just tried your first drug. <laughs> 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 it feels like an editor very harshly went, yeah. you've admitted to a lot. We're taking the chapter out <laughs> where you talk about the cocaine mm. and we're going to modify the chapter where you stop It won't make any sense now, but uh, you still get that uh, beat of you becoming a family man after you've had half a spliff that someone left in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who's leaving a spliff? Um, That also isn't specified. Um, And if there were anyone famous, Paddy would name them three times because this is one of the most horrible, clunkily name drop Mm. books. He is childishly, excitedly addicted to fame. Addicted to being near fame, putting his name in a sentence that contains the name of other famous people. I love it. This is fascinating. He talks about this time he rode a barge that is only rendered significant because Elton John once rode it. <laughs>
1: No, Elton John was this on is it a with
2: multimillionaire. Him. No, 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 just another time. Wow. I think he tried to rent a barge when it was like when it was beyond the like normal times that they were operating, and he was like, "I'll give you a lot more money than normal if you just let me rent this barge." And he like, "Yeah, okay, I've done this before for people. Mm-hmm. Anyone know, who's done it before?" And he says, "Oh, Elton John," and like he includes that. It's like me and Elton once bribed a guy to get a barge off hours why are both of these people on this late night barge um he's basically lying to some tv executives saying he knows somewhere really cool they can go and then just sort of takes them round parts of london <laughs> at night and then just tries to put them on a barge <laughs> <laughs> oh wow and that's what i like about this it's got lots of stories that you do believe yeah he's
3: trying to look cool he is probably writing this thinking i look cool in this i look like i'm uh, tricking
2: these executives but you, he comes across looking like a little bit of a bozo. I think the whole thing's only in there because Elton John once rode the same barge. And that outweighs him looking out, foolish. Outweighs, has important. to admit, that he's just yeah. lied to a bunch of people and they're wandering around for no reason. Mm. And it's all for like the normal, venal desire yeah. to talk to and be around more powerful people. Mm-hmm. There's a whole time when he went out drinking with some professional footballers. And their wealth was leagues above his. And he spent the whole time just being absolutely terrified of when the bill comes. Mm. There's nothing in him that could admit to the professional footballers that he doesn't earn as much as a professional footballer, even though obviously he doesn't. Who does? Who, who does? He mm. couldn't be like, remember, guys, you're a professional footballer, so this is – I can't go for like 50 quid a drink, can I? So, <laughs> 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 Sorry. He just can't do that. He's like yeah. very insecure about stuff. But but we're getting we're getting really far into like analyzing the guy. Whereas we should just talk about who is this guy.
3: Let's get yeah. Who should. is he? I was aware of Paddy McGuinness because I had watched Phoenix Nights when it
2: came out. Mm. It's so weird that Kitson's in that. It's mad that Kitson's, but but actually at the time, a lot of the casting from that was like just a who's who of who's going hard in the clubs. Yeah, you know, yeah. who's just traveling doing club comedy all the time. And from that perspective, it sort of makes sense of Kitson. Yeah. And you forget that that is like Kitson was. It's kind of like well, you forget and it is an that amazing Kitson's from comic. Yorkshire as yeah. well, so just yeah. would yeah. be around. Yeah. And at that time was like probably a bit more ultra laddie. Hadn't turned themselves mm. into this auteurist storyteller. Yeah. They were just kind of a, a goggle-eyed, bearded man who talked Proto about Kitson. not being able to shag.
3: Yeah. yeah. Proto-Kitson. Um,
2: but so remember that. And then obviously a uh, shout out to David
3: Carhan and Amy Gladhill, the... Uh, genius Edinburgh show they had where they got comedians to essentially react to Paddy McGuinness's DVDs were we on the same night I wonder if we were actually I think I we, if were. we were it, I think we saw
2: it at the same time
3: <laughs> from the stage <laughs> it, it blew my mind I didn't I knew it was bad I, I think until you see it it's not even stand-up comedy it's something else it's something horrible the people in the room seem to like it right I mean I know there's editing but they at least had material somewhere of people who in and hollering that they could have edit you in. seen
2: the full DVDs now You can definitely see that alcohol plays more of a part of it, especially in Paddy McGuinness Plus You, Mm. um, his second national tour Uh and live DVD, where he has to give them confections from Gregg's and bread Mm. while asking them please to be quiet because he's recording, and that made it onto the DVD. So it's like they're going mad for it, but like Wasted. they're not engaging, they're not here for this. It's not clear if they're enjoying the stand up, right? Yeah, because yeah. they're interrupting the stand up and they're, he's very frustrated that he can't do his material. <laughs> but his material <laughs> does include a full advert. He does an actual, he plays an advert from mm. the telly. Mm. And that was my induction as well. I knew him mm. as the guy from Phoenix Nights. Now he's done this diabolical stand up, but with a huge budget. Mm. In the autobiography, he says he did 180 dates of that show. <laughs> what the fuck? That's did he sell 180 why. dates? I don't know if any were cancelled due to low sales, but I, what I do know is that that number is false and whether yeah. a, by an actual lie, a typo or a misprint, it is 108. Okay, that's still a lot. It's still a lot, considering yeah. the book covers his entire stand-up experience up to that point, which was two gigs. He did one gig. What? The first gig, I think, was at a student comedy night in Preston. The second gig was hosting an award ceremony at a gym and then the third gig was a 108 national tour date. It raised millions and he says in the book that he wrote all of it within 48 to 24 hours of the first show. (laughs) (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Um, and rehearsed it in the car
3: driving mm, to do the show. That makes a lot of sense because his stand-up is like a weird blend of the most confident guy at the comedy balloon, someone who's brought 20 of their mates, but like really egging them on. And they're like mega confident, but it's horrific. And there is an American man who does stand-up routines on YouTube and he's like filming them like outside his garage door. Oh, uh, and he posts them and he, they're like, he's really going hard. He's got the delivery of someone who thinks they're playing a stadium. Daniel Songa, right? yeah, yeah, I think so, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. Very, very confident man doing first gig, pissed to even more pissed mates, and someone who actually has never had their material tested by an actual performance and is doing it with absolute confidence outside their garage door. Yeah, Sin is one of the people in this Phoenix Nights among these other amazing comedians, but Paddy McGuinness is not an experienced club comic.
2: He is a random. He is a guy who knows Peter Kay. And in the book, what's really interesting is, like, you could make the argument that it's a success by, like, the normal basic metrics. It's obviously critically panned and stuff. Mm. But, like, after this, he's a millionaire. This yeah. show, this this tour
3: makes him. And the money and ego boost of that would send someone into space.
2: While also being, like, you know, he feels like the criticism he received is badly deserved. And he has this whole kind of insecure chapter about, like, the people he, he says are, like, the emblems of like alternative comedy, it's like Simon Munnery, mm. Stuart Lee, Daniel Kitson. Mm. He could do stuff just like that if he put his mind to it. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> but he chooses not to out of respect for his audience. Right, like, right They've yeah. come to see filth right. and sort of disconnected thoughts <laughs> about poo and cum. And he has to deliver that because that's what they want. It isn't just bad, it's, it's like horrific, it's gross. He's trying to be edgy, but he never actually says anything. that Beyond like... The implicit misogyny of how he talks about anything to do with well, anything anything, actually. (laughs) And there's a really interesting thing, like there's an implicit homophobia of any time, because he's always talking about sex a lot, but whenever Mm. he talks about his own penis or his own balls or his own cum, Mm -hmm. he retches violently into the microphone because it disgusts him. He loves shagging, but whenever he sees his own dick, he wants to vomit. It's just this strange <laughs> through line, and, and, and he doesn't get lasts for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, because that's really
3: weird. So homophobic. You're disgusted by your own cock.
2: Yeah. That's the straightest you could be. Right? That's <laughs> the piece of heterosexuality is I cannot ever look downwards in case i see anything around my groin so in my head he's this like incoherent stand-up guy who Mm. then got like a pretty safe life in tv presenting and then he does a documentary with the bbc released in late 2021 which is about his whole family has autism except him
3: I have seen the promo for this and it made me angry. (laughs) So I did not watch the content. And just to clarify, listeners, I have remained willfully ignorant. I've held off on Paddy research so that Sean can blow my mind
2: with. Oh, um, yeah. And my Paddy research has expanded the boundaries of what's reasonable. You've bonkered down. Yeah. I mean, I I watched his first two stand up DVDs. I watched several episodes of Phoenix Nights and Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere. Of course, I read his autobiography. Mm. I watched his documentary on autism and his own journey of learning about his autistic family i read christine McGuinness's autobiography mm-hmm. and i read peter k's three autobiographies wow i went off rails <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't know you'd read uh, peter Kay's stuff yes but i don't think peter likes paddy and actually i think intentionally doesn't bring him up <laughs> there's literally only one book of the three where like he crops up mm. in the autism documentary it's framed as like my journey of learning about autism. Mm. But there's this odd kind of disconnect of how you can do that framing of why you're starting your autism journey now because your eldest child mm. who has autism is eight years old. So mm. this is really late in the game mm. <laughs> to be like now showing a curiosity about it. And they do kind of go into it of when he discovered that he had autistic children, it made him very sad. So he um, disengaged from parenting or learning about his children until roundabout when the documentary was made. That is well, Christine up. seems to be leveraging the existence of the documentary to use that as a frame mm. to tell Paddy, by the way this thing mm. that I've been waiting for you to acknowledge in okay. our children so that you can like start looking after them. Mm. I have autism as well. I've discovered through this that I have autism so like you need it to engage with me and my life Mm. and so it creates these horrible moments where like the documentary has taken him to see some like assisted living centers in the uk Mm. and before he knows that christine is like a pre-diagnosis autistic adult Mm -hmm. he is talking to other autistic adults like they are little babies while christine is pointedly talking to them like they are adults Mm. and it makes him come off as like
3: really bad. This is the impression I got from mere
2: glimpses of this content. It's the double-edged sword of like, when he does something, it's like cack-handed and selfish. And when Mm. he doesn't, it's prolonged enough that you could easily call it neglect. Mm. And so that was my second exposure to Paddy. And when he released a book on his life, (laughs) Mm. I'm like, let me in. And this, I'll tell you now, this is when the actual spark occurred. It was reading the very, very first bit of the autobiography. Mm-hmm. First paragraph mm-hmm. of his autobiography, and like the acknowledgements, the intro, is him saying he has never even read a book before, let alone written one.
3: <laughs> like that sent- does, he, does he say that sentence? Because that's masterful. Credit where credit's due. That's
2: really funny. <laughs> it's funny to do the Garth Marenghi of having written more books than you've yeah. read. Yeah. But, the, but the maddest thing about that is he has written another book before. And he's forgotten. He's forgotten. This is his second book. What's his first book? He wrote this kind of toilet book, Paddy McGuinness's Guide to the North. And it's just, uh, I mean, it must have it? had, well, clearly not that, yeah. but he's forgotten there's another book listed to his name. Yeah, yeah. That's what he's actually So when forgotten. he's saying he's not forgotten written writing a book, book. before. Yeah. He's got yeah, the credit. He's he's forgotten, actually. When this goes out on Amazon and you click through to the author, this is your second book. hmm the book is called My Lifey. Why does it say explicitly? He like acknowledges that it's like a reference to his catchphrase on Take Me Out. Oh, yeah. In order to connect those dots, my brain instantly goes, no likey, my my lifey, my lifey. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which is unintentionally extremely grim for a book that's got him laughing on the front. That would be an incredible title, though. No like My Lifey. Bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, someone should use that for something. He only used that title because the Mm. editors wouldn't allow him to use his initial proposed title. Which was? He wanted to call the book Girl Power. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He says... Sp- he wanted why to call it girl like *Spice power. Girls*. He like relays this conversation he had with the editor. The editor tries to explain to him, "Paddy, if you just put that on the front of an autobiography, people are going to think it's about the Spice Girls." Yeah. And people, no one is going to see that title and think it's about Paddy McGuinness. <laughs> so you can't call it that. It's going to confuse people. But why did he want to call it that? What was his? Yeah. Does he explain? So he says, "This book, mm. in through telling the story of his life, it is a testament to the powerful women." Around him, okay. And having read the book and gone back to this, it is astounding that he believes the book functions that yeah. way.
3: Yeah, I mean, extrapolating from his behaviour towards women and the tone of comedy work,
2: I've, I've, I, I, this doesn't surprise me. <laughs> also, extrapolating from the time at this time, he was having an affair with his on his oh, wife. Right. Fuck. Okay. And Christine barely comes up. Mm. It's, it's just like he's standing right there and Christine is barely mentioned. Mm. Maybe because in order to tell the story of how they met, you have to talk about him in his early 30s and her as a 19-year-old. Mm. And maybe you don't want to talk about that. Mm. <laughs> maybe you don't want to talk about how she was modeling bikinis and then you came up to her afterwards and then convinced her to leave like her job working independently in Paris and sit on her own indoors for like 10 years in a house in Bolton instead. Fucking hell. Probably hard to put a spin on that. Or maybe it was in there. It got deleted. It got deleted, Along with the the bags of cocaine. Too ungrammatical. Gotta get rid. That just incriminates your reputation, so we'll remove that leave these other things which just imply that you're just a bad guy generally (laughs) not that you've specifically ruined your wife's life (laughs) (laughs) and then the next thing he does he starts talking to the reader like they're all millennials in my case he was right but i think for Mm. 99 percent of the cases he's going to be wrong and he goes if you want to know about me i'm a kid from the 70s and he's got this like big description of like 70s nostalgia Mm. but it's like wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he says, all of these don't appear in the book. If you understand me, you need to know about all these things. He writes this list of like everything he remembers from the 70s. Yeah. And it's clear like he's participating in this kind of collective, what he believes is a collective understanding of the 70s right. and not his actual right. memories. Okay. Because this list includes Tamagotchis. Tamagotchis? Yeah. Tamagotchis Tamagotchis released in the UK market in the early 90s. 90s. So it literally cannot be a memory or anything to do with him. Yeah. But he thinks other people played with Tamagotchis. Maybe it's a joke. it a joke. There's a few things in there which I'm like, is this a joke? Wrong is a kind of joke. At one point, he he does a little quip, I guess, where yeah. he calls um, an Etch-a-Sketch nature's iPad. That's funny. And I did funny. sit on it being That's a few, funny. being like... That's funny. You, but, but it is funny if, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because normally you'd say like... Nature's iPad! Yeah, like you might say that about maybe rubbing a piece of charcoal on a on a rock <laughs> or something. You know... Fashioning dye for some berries and painting it on a cave. That might be nature's iPad. Yeah, but it's funny because but, it's, like,
3: it's not from nature. That's why it's for that's a joke. That's a great non secateur. But, credit to but credit. Doesn't
2: a joke too. have to, but no, hang on. Doesn't a joke have to be intended to be a joke? Like if, if someone says something that doesn't make any sense and you start laughing and mm. they don't mean that, that's not a joke. You've now bullying someone. <laughs> Am I bullying Paddy McGuinness by finding that funny? Well, I don't know. I think he'd (laughs) say it's a joke. In the same way Tommy Wiseau says the room was a comedy. Ah, Okay, I'm with you. Do you know? Well, there's another time when he says, he's talking about something that happened in like the 90s. The launch of the Nintendo Switch. Oh, actually, no, he's telling a story that happens in the early 2000s. And he says, oh yeah, life was a million miles away from the health and safety obsessed world we're in now. It's like, This is like 2003. What are you talking about, Paddy? This was the actual height Mm. of people talking about health and safety's gone mad. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like him saying like received stuff, but it hasn't applied it quite correctly. Like nature's iPad. There's a joke there, but he hasn't quite understood the rules of of that idiom. Mm. And the whole like, oh yeah, not like now. This wasn't all health and safety like we got now. But he's forgotten that the story takes place during the era of health and safety, so it doesn't quite Mm. line up. Um, He even at one point says to quote Victor Meldrew, "I didn't believe it." because he's trying to say like he didn't believe something so he throws an oh yeah to quote victor meldrew that, i didn't believe it that's because he's talking joke. about that <laughs>
3: miss, miss, quote, so doing a quote wrong saying to quote victor Maldrew and then quoting not <laughs> quite it, that, his catchphrase that's funny
2: it's funny but i just don't think that's what he's going for if you know? they
3: are intentional jokes nature's etch a sketch and to quote victor meldrew i didn't believe it that's funny but that does not map onto paddy's humor Anywhere else, I've seen it. They are like full on non secateurs
2: Yes, I, I. There aren't jokes like that in you know Max and Paddy's Road to <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> no. That term um, definitely is more about uh, shagging and regional and sometimes ethnic stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in these, fact, remembering now, actually, it's, it's full on racist.
3: <laughs> and maybe they're funnier as well. They're funnier filtered through the character of Paddy McGuinness because because they don't make it's another level of non-secateur because you're like why is he saying this that's really bizarre
2: yeah like the ultimate non-secateur joke is to do about 20 years of Mm. straight down the line like blue and bawdy comedy and then throw in three really left of field (laughs) awkward garden path style jokes I think people can change. I would like to see Paddy change. I'd like to see him turn <laughs> into stone a by Mildreau.
0: I didn't believe it.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just like you, you, might remember from One Foot in the Grave, Victor Meldrove, just like him, I didn't believe this. <laughs> 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 of
3: course it's fucking great.
2: Yeah. yeah. It is funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> actually, to be honest, I might have that. I might use that It's mine. <laughs> I think mean, I should just go into the pool. Yeah. So, like, early life... Yeah, a big mawkish description of, like, northern working class poverty. He definitely seems to, like, love, like, egging it up in a way that you're, like, you're writing this now as a millionaire. Bit of an authenticrat thing going on. like Ah, 100% an authenticrat stuff, because he's always doing that. Do you know, I've been following his Twitter as well, and he was, like, there was one when he was talking about, like, proper grub and, like, proper Mm. supermarkets, not these fancy pants things where you can get vermicelli nests.
3: Working class people have to eat at one old egg a day. With no salt. Salt's too spicy for the working class.
2: But to me, vermicelli nest is so niche and specific. Do you know what I mean? Normally you go for like hummus or whatever. In this, especially when he was writing this. I don't know where you can get vermicelli nests. What is vermicelli? Type of pasta? A noodle? It's, no, is vermicelli a noodle? is really, really thin little noodles. It's like a micro spaghetti. Yeah, micro spaghetti. Yeah, yeah mini yeah, spaghetti. Yeah. Does it come in a nest? I'm, I'm tabbing out. Vermicelli nest. Yeah, no. nest. <laughs> Listen, you don't need Google. I can explain to you what a vermicelli nest is.
3: Oh, yeah, it's already in a little loop. It's yeah, yeah, a yeah, little yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah.
2: It's yeah, a little yeah, little yeah, hoop. Okay. Like a spaghetti hoop. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do that pause and listen thing again? <laughs> I was, I was laughing at that, but I was also reading
3: the one review for Tesco Vimicelli, which yeah, is lovely when available, full stop, five stars, always out of stock, maybe order a bit more, maybe available online, cheers.
2: <laughs> I like that they're like annoyed. But five star. This is it. I think there's confusion in the review process. Mm. Are you reviewing the good? Uh-huh. Are you reviewing this item? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or are you reviewing all of the? Co- are you like reviewing the supply chain? <laughs> when does he? When is he suggesting vermicelli nest was not a thing? No, oh, no. It's not about when it was a thing. Right. It's, he's given an example of like la da food. I've never seen something like that in a supermarket. Yeah. I didn't know vermicelli comes in this. I've never seen it. To yeah. me, vermicelli is something you might get like a Chinese. That seemed like trying to portray working-classness while also mentioning a type of food that seems considerably fancier than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to try and get across to you what Paddy's stand-up is like because it is not like other bad stand-up. And I have seen a lifetime's worth of bad stand-up. I've seen bad live comedy from every angle available. Front row, back row, tucked in a tech booth, stood nervously on the wings, watching it dribble from my own chapped lips, the wet lips of my peers, and a thousand other mouths desperate to chomp on the dry teat of the comedy industry. Paddy's stand-up is bad and strange, but Paddy himself is by no means the worst comedian I've ever seen. What he wields is the most mind-melting ratio between show length, venue size, and material quality that you will encounter in your natural life. And that's important. The desperate little urchins whispering punchlines into damp microphones in northern pub open mics are unsung heroes. But Paddy is giving it both barrels to a sold-out palladium. There are balcony seats, there's an encore, and that changes everything. To join me in describing Paddy's mesmerising performances, I have enlisted David Callahan, whose show No Likey Yes introduced a generation of disaffected comedians to the prince of sloppy stand-up. This section will contain some clips of Paddy's comedy, so content warnings for homophobia, fatphobia, inappropriate sexual contact, sexism and racism.
0: Max and Paddy, Peter K, all that kids sliding about on the knees. I'm the dark side of the team, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. (laughs) babe station for terrorists. That'll be cracking, that, eh? Bin Laden, ring in. Hello? Hi, big boy, what's your name? Osama. Oh. Where are you calling from? A cave? (laughs) Oh, kinky. See the fellas out right down here? Look at his haircut. He must be a queer. Oh yes, nothing wrong with that. If a man wants highlights, there's really nothing wrong with that. Um, so
1: I, so I saw this. I was, I think, I, I think I was watching something else, and then autoplay was on, and Paddy McGuinness came on while I was doing something else. And I started telling people about it, but it's really hard to describe what Paddy McGuinness does and, and who he is on stage because he's a man with a tremendous amount of confidence but little to no reaction from the audience, you know? They get bored. That's the fascinating thing. You get halfway
0: through the show, the audience are bored. So me and my friends split them and two come up. Hang on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So it's
1: not like the feedback's good. It's not like he's playing to his own crowd. The feedback is bad. So you watch it decline and die in real time. The more you watch it, the the less you understand where a routine starts, where it ends. The Fiesta résistance really is the bit in the middle where he's he's pretending to be... (laughs) He's pretending to be Gary Glitter. And... They can't, they can't show it because Gary Glitter because it's so bad that Gary Glitter would have the possibility to sue. You know, like you'd think defamation of character is something that is unavailable as a course of action for Gary Glitter now. His, <laughs> his character is is at the bottom. You know, Gary Glitter is absolutely
0: and yet yeah, Paddy McGuinness says something so bad about him. No, I'd love to show you this, I'd love to, but GG, the glitter, he's put a stop on it. You'd have loved it, he used to bring the host down. Pedos have rights too. I'm sorry. And that's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a pleasure to watch uh,
1: <laughs> Paddy McGuinness shrug his shoulders in a really annoyed way and say pedos have rights too. I mean... And it feels like he performs it in
2: the same order that he wrote it. So the bits get kind of longer and worse as the show goes on. <laughs> so whatever you're addicted to, there's more of it the longer you stay. And that's, what, <laughs> that's what's like the fascination fuel. There's
0: a lot of isms in this world, but the one that I want to talk about tonight, shitism. <laughs> now this is serious, this Glasgow, right? Discrimination against different animals' poos, right? Now, because it's a serious subject, we're going to approach it in a light-hearted manner, through the medium of family fortunes. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, the amazing thing about the show is there is so little content in it. Mm. Like, everything he says is bad. So there's, like, a six-minute-long video at the start. Then he comes on stage, he does a dance routine, and then he gets a woman out of the crowd and inappropriately touches her. And that's before he's really said hello, you know?
2: Hmm.
1: And then he does a series of routines, all of which get worse and worse. And, and at the end, he sings Minder and does a QA and a with the audience. Now, in between the end of the video and the start of the Q&A is 41 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> What I like about the second tour is he shows a Greg's advert to the audience in the second tour. That's that's one of my favourite things.
0: Right, now I've wrote these new adverts for Greg's, but the last one I wrote, it's not on till 2009, right? But I'm going to play it to you tonight. Is this the live? Oh! I'm wielding a bit of muscle with Greg's here. One of the bits um, that
1: he, <laughs> he talks about for maybe five or six minutes is. Uh, about George Formby being rude. Mm. Um, as if Paddy McGuinness can't understand that they're comedy songs full of double entendre. Like, Paddy McGuinness, you know? Mm. George Formby is like end-of-the-peer entertainment. you think Paddy McGuinness would absolutely love that, and yet even then he can't understand what it is.
2: And just on the face of it, it is so surreal to see a performer get up, show another comedian's work while pausing it after every joke and going, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> the blushing bride, she looks divine. The bridegroom, he is doing fine. I'm sure he is, George. It's the wedding night. I'd rather have his job than mine when I'm cleaning windows. You're a fucking sexual predator, for me."
2: And he throws out um, bread and buns and stuff in that one, right? He like, gives yeah. them food. He's giving them bread so they'll shut up. <laughs> As they start talking, he's just chucking loaves out, being like,
0: have one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking calm down. Here, have a sugar donut. There you are.
2: There you Nicky This was, in fact, that tour transformed him from someone who's done a bit of TV into a comfortable millionaire for the rest of his life. You're watching someone transcend <laughs> the class boundary in real time. <laughs>
1: Ooh, mini bikes, Yum, yum. I love I these DVDs, you know. I think they're bizarre and brilliant. I mean, the first one opens with... He's in his dressing room and it's this um, incredibly fat man uh, who is pretending, they're pretending is Paddy McGuinness. And then he goes through this kind of metamorphosis routine where he turns into the Paddy and then comes on stage. I don't really know what that's in aid of. Like, I don't know. In Max and Paddy, there's
2: quite a lot of like, wouldn't it be funny to be fat? Or wouldn't it be funny to be like near a gay man? I'm normal. Wouldn't it be funny if it wasn't?
1: <laughs> I'm a normal kind of man. I mean, have you seen the extra on the DVD where he blacks up as a stuntman?
0: No. Oh, OK. So, that, so that's on the reading list. <laughs> Excuse me. I can understand you're not happy about this blacking up thing, but uh, I once double for Sammy Davis Jr. on the cannonball run. Is this some kind of a joke? This is wrong! No, no, no.
2: Early life Paddy, it's just... He hasn't got enough, like... Traumas to talk about, and not enough things happen. Mm. He has a go at trying to make like, here's my hard life, but he basically says he tries to attribute a lifelong shyness that he doesn't have to shitting himself when he was six years old. And I just don't think he sells it. <laughs> I don't think he sells the story very well. In what context did he shit himself? He did a poo in his pants mm-hmm. while a friend was round. And so he tried to hide his pants inside a toy, mm-hmm. not thinking that his friend would be here to play with his toys. Also, he's removed his pants well no his friend just had to like open up a transformer or a a thing and be like what's this material Mm. this is shit this is human shit shit, yeah and paddy had to be like that's my shit i put it in the transformer (laughs) which actually now that i've actually now put myself in that position yeah that that could change your personality And then there's just his early work life. He actually gets a lot of his jobs through family connections, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. They're not glamorous jobs. They're like working in factory stuff, doing things with like industrial sealant. Um, He works in a gym for a while, although in order to get on well with the older men who seem to, like, rule the roost and bully the staff and bully everyone else, he does allow them to turn the sauna into an active dogging hotspot. He he, he sells it like he's being clever, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what you do. Here's what you do, right? These older guys want to push me around. Here, Watch this. I'll give them everything they want and turn the sauna into a dogging hotspot and let them sell alcohol in there as well.
3: Fucking hell.
2: Yeah, it sounds like they were giving you the runaround. Yeah. Addy, you should have told them not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you've sold that like a life hack. <laughs> Someone tries to tell you what to do, lad. Just roll over and show him your soft underbelly. And let them pierce that with a pike. We seem to have established a running theme
3: of he tells an anecdote. He thinks he's coming across as cool, but he actually comes across as a tool.
2: At one time he's asked, he's working in like a little factory, like a little industrial place going to refurb all the kitchens mm. and they say we've got this prefab thing set up that we're going to have our lunches in can you like sort the walls out or paint it or something and he decides to wallpaper it with it with pornography what? and you get this is like a, quite a clip story all the men when he reveals it are like ha yeah well well done yeah yeah and then all quietly have to say to him because these are like old geezers mm. and he's like late teens first mm. job kind of thing they're having to say look Patty, we actually come in here to eat and i've been married 25 years mm. and i love my wife and she's made me these sandwiches and it makes me feel bad in a way i don't know how to express to see these tits and asses and vaginas when i'm just trying to have you know a butty that my, my wife made me you know mm. don't tell you of a lie all the lads are paddy, but could you please take down the <laughs> pornography from the cafeteria <laughs> That now, that is masculinity. Yeah. That there's something in that that I just find so fascinating where, like, you have to all be like, yes, sort of made us have unbidden physical sexual mm. responses while we're trying to eat at work. We <laughs> 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 all have to like celebrate it, but like, no one would ever yeah, want yeah. that. <laughs> no, no one wants would a ever in want the work that. kitchen. It's also very interesting having Paddy talk about like presenting his working class upbringing, mm. which is real. It's true. It's mm. not a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way it becomes so key to his identity now, Mm. he voted against Labour in 2019. (laughs) It was the first time he voted in his life, just to deny, (laughs) literally just to deny. (laughs) He gets into stand-up because he reconnects with Peter Kay and Mm. then goes with him to the Frog and Bucket Mm -hmm. and has no interest in comedy, performing or stand-up until he sees Peter get paid like 40 quid or something for opening (laughs) <laughs> I was like you did 20 minutes of work there and that's where his stand up he oh, said explicitly wow. in the book I only became interested in what I saw like the pay to work ratio
3: that is why he thought he could write his show just driving to the gig because he doesn't see
2: any work beyond that twenty minutes. I guess the problem is when your actual motivation is the pay to you work. The pay, thing. yeah, yeah. And it isn't even the long form thing. You can still mm. be like a greedy stand-up, but you're like playing the long game. Yeah. But when you just see it as like what the pay for this gig is compared to the I mm. put in, all the preparation is literally taking money out of your wallet.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the longer
2: yeah. you spend writing, rehearsing, or thinking about it, the, ba- the way to make the most profit, is is more profit, the prep yeah. Down. yeah. Yeah. It's clever. He runs his own brain like you'd run a failing business. <laughs> Peter starts becoming an increasingly successful comedian and Paddy who's not gigging Mm. is sort of pursuing it maybe in his head but isn't Mm. actually doing any performances just starts travelling around with Peter so he's not opening he's just with him no he's not performing even to other countries to corporates in Switzerland and stuff like that
3: imagine being able to travel with one of the most effective comedians and not learn anything
2: (laughs) It might also put you off, right?
3: It might might put you off. But like the fact that he's presumably he's watching whatever Kay's doing to prepare and then what he's doing on stage and how he's interacting with the audience and the rhythm of his writing and the pacing of of how he builds a show. And he's just ignoring all of that because Peter Kay's up is tight as fuck. And this guy, (laughs) it's just like,
2: no, no effort. No, like, well, I guess he kind of has a unique voice. But it creates this really interesting dynamic that I just cannot get enough information on. Peter doesn't seem to like talking about him too much. And Paddy's a bit inarticulate and brushes over stories that you want more detail on. Mm. It's that Peter's career must be going well enough at this point that he's like flying internationally to do corporates. And has enough spare money just to bring his friend along. Yeah. Who's sort of a guy who's not got anything specific going on. Mm-hmm. in his life and just mm-hmm. comes along for ride-alongs all the time to begin with they're too poor to have like separate hotel rooms and during this explanation of his ride-along thing with PK, k there is the first of two anecdotes to me mm-hmm. seem like their only purpose in the book is to explain why another member of the public saw him naked in a hotel room with another man there's two stories like that And they seem really implausible. Right. And the only commonalities between them is that they involve Paddy and another celebrity and a member of the public who saw them naked together. So the first one's Peter Kay, and the second one is Robbie Williams. We've just circled back to the cocaine question as well. Well, to me, the cocaine thing's not a question. It's just something I legally won't say because it's (laughs) not supported by hard evidence. It's not not a question. It's just a a private exclamation mark. Yeah. (laughs) And so when he does his first tour he's mm-hmm. just entered the world of entertainment millionaires robbie williams starts taking a keen interest in him so he's mm-hmm. just like a new entertainer he's a young lad robbie williams is hanging around with him a lot and then there's this anecdote that paddy tells where he, robbie williams is new friend mm-hmm. he goes around to his house but they're coming around explicitly to watch babe station together they're doing mm-hmm. the most heterosexual thing two guys could do together at that point
3: we're so heterosexual that in order to just to just check that uh we're not just hanging out as friends we have to put porn on
2: it's the biggest no homo you can do. Yeah, all the all the guys eating together in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Well, we all must be yeah, good heterosexual yeah. lads. We've here got to put porn on the wall. St- we're staring. Yeah, we always have porn on at the same time. Yeah. Now, to me, in case we fall I, in love, I think it's because we're probably the first people. On the internet so accessible. Uh-huh. The idea of like a shared pornographic experience that you'd have uh-huh. with acquaintances yeah, yeah, yeah. feels surreal. But I think every yeah. previous generation of like ooh style yeah, yeah, blokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some weird way of like heterosexualizing being horny together in exclusively oh, yeah. the company of other okay. men. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is probably like a landscape I've never had to bother with. I think me <laughs> and some friends found some <laughs> pornography in the bush when we were kids.
3: Yeah I've seen but some then bush we found porn.
2: a frog. And then yeah. we just were interested in the frog. Yeah. <laughs> Not, Not <laughs> there was a frog next to it. We literally, you know, like the sweating spaceman looking at two buttons. Mm. For us, I think it was like a porn mag and a frog and we just were like, let's try and pick up the frog. Mm, yeah, yeah. But I said I think that actually hurts the frog. That hurts like don't, the frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't pick up the frog the night. We're just going to pick it up. We're not going to squash mm-hmm. it. And so I'm not mm-hmm. saying you're going to squash it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to, but it will hurt the frog. So if you like the frog, you shouldn't yes. do it. And then I had a fight with my friends. Like a brawl? Um, just a big falling out. Oh, okay. Okay. It wasn't a yeah, physical yeah. confrontation. I, mean, I was imagining you standing
3: between, moving to stand between them and the frog and saying, if you're going to touch that frog, you're going to have to go through me. No, I
2: wasn't nearly as agile to mm. keep pace with two boys and a frog. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more that they wanted me to recant and yes. I was simply, yeah, okay, simply okay, refused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I won't stop you because I know I can't but I yeah, won't I won't back down on my yeah, statement my statement not gonna, I'm not going <laughs> to sanction this yeah sorry that'll have to live in your memory when you watch the frog die <laughs> <laughs> I told you told you not Got, to squeeze yeah. it that frog's dead and I win lost two friends and a frog that day <laughs> yeah, but they remained friends and Robbie would continue to pay for him to go to LA randomly on his own and it's just it's a strange thing to bring up with these really odd anecdotes that feel quite implausible, and they sort of raise all of these questions, because now having triangulated that with Christine McGuinness's autobiography, this is the era where his star is in Ascension, she has depression, she's at home, but she is also Mm -hmm. someone who is the masculine heterosexual man's dream. She is a model. Mm -hmm. She goes on to do like glamour shoots and stuff. This Mm -hmm. is the -hmm. kind of woman that Paddy describes, Mm -hmm. you know, in his idealised feminine beauty. And he is spending no time with her to instead jet off to different parts of Europe. I think he went out to go visit... Robbie on like a European tour and I just don't know why he's put that in there I'm actually not interested in Paddy's sexuality and I don't really care if he's bisexual or whatever yeah but why include these stories I guess it's the proximity to fame he's hanging out with Robbie Williams Robbie Williams is
3: objectively more famous than Paddy McGuinness yeah Peter Kay and Robbie Williams are both much more famous than Paddy McGuinness so it's just the same as Alan John's barge
2: it's the same where he's including these things that Mm. raise all this stuff he doesn't want to talk about he doesn't want you to think about him lying to and leading executives around in the rain and at mm. night for no reason because he's a star fucker mm. but he will tell that story if he gets to say he rode the same barge as elton john and i don't think he wants people thinking that he's has a massive confusion of no, sexuality no, which no. led him to neglect his wife and if anything being quite a uneven and quite ex- like there's no way if someone's just mm. entered the world of celebrity and fame robbie williams descending on you and saying he wants some kind of relationship with you that's sus and he doesn't want people thinking about all of that he just wants people to know he was friends with Robbie Williams. And that's mm. it. Don't mm. say don't investigate that any further. It just raises these questions. And I'm not interested, like I, I don't like the veneer of gossipiness that lives yeah, over it. Yeah, yeah. But it's fascinating in its inclusion in this book, given who Paddy wants to be in it. That contrast, that dissonance between how
3: he wants to appear and how he is appearing and what what he thinks he's achieving by including this material. Mm. But what other kind of stuff is that? I mean, is this is this just so integral to who Paddy is, the stories he remembers and the stories he
2: thinks worth sharing are stories about proximity to fame. One million percent. There's a couple of interesting stories where some people have done him a massive service and Paddy tells the story with all the key details without really acknowledging that like someone's done him a huge solid. Paddy failed his audition for Phoenix notes. Channel 4 just did not like him. Peter managed to swing it so he could have a second crack at the whip, and Peter got everyone else's audition tapes and showed it to him and coached him, which is one hundred percent not something you should do. If people are auditioning for something, That's you cannot take their up. tapes, show it to another applicant, and go, "Here's what the executive said about this person and that person. If you do this, this, and this, mm. we'll, we'll work you out the ideal strategy to get this role." Had mm. he this while talking about how much of a bloody ball ache? to land this role and he had to oh. jump through all these hoops and he was like Paddy do you not realise yeah. not only if Peter absolutely I don't know what kind of rule he's breaking but yeah. it's not it's the way not, It's not go. good. yeah this is bad yeah he's like completely like shafting everyone else who's mm. wasted their time on this he's managed to get a massive favour from the execs this is this is this Peter's done con- little bits with Channel 4 yeah. before but this yeah. is like he's fully asking a big favour of execs yeah. he's making his first show with for you and Paddy's like yeah to do loads of bloody stuff to get this thing bloody hell and it's like Mm. Are you not realizing, one, that you've sort of put Peter in the shit here Mm. for saying something that he absolutely should not be public that he did this? It massively shows that you did not get your TV career Mm -hmm. through Merit. Yeah. because the executives who didn't know you wanted to drop you in favour of yeah. another person. And he just puts that in there. Well, is me. I am being given all of the advantages through nepotism and corruption. And then the other one is when he gets Top Gear, yeah. and he tells this story about like how it was a massive coincidence that his agent happened to be at a big racing thing and mm. was talking to another big I- executive. So the subject of cars just naturally came up. And mm. it just happened to be the case that at that, person, at that time, mm. she was looking for a new host for Top Gear. And it's like, "Paddy, you, what is wrong with you? That was not a coincidence. Your agent put a shift in, placed themselves in a position where there'd be cars in the background so the com- the topic of cars comes up naturally." He would have known mm-hmm. that at the casting thing because there wasn't, you know, like when someone has an ulterior motive. Yeah. He didn't really have a real motive for ringing her, yeah, right? It yeah. was it was a it was a fake. This is how <laughs> this stuff works. And you Are now in your 50s, and it is mad that you are still minded and managed, Mm -hmm. and you do not understand how the most basic cogs of the industry that you're in operate. And and you think all these things are just coincidences, and you don't understand like everyone who's operating (laughs) around you. And it's so mad that he's been allowed to like have this baby mindset of everything's just weird coincidences and just stuff just happens while also becoming like one of the faces of ITV and the BBC in like a couple of decades. This is his own autobiography, right? everything It's clear that he's written it because it's disjointed. It doesn't make any sense. The anecdotes reveal way too much about him. And it only reveals that this guy's like an arsehole. You could only
3: write this stuff if you had a total lack of self-awareness, which if someone is ghostwriting stuff, ghostwriter would be given these stories from Paddy and then they would craft them into a thing that... Make sense of how someone would depict themselves because, well, it wouldn't be self-awareness; it would be an awareness of how Paddy would come across in these things. So they would mm. edit it and alter it, and obviously, they still been edited. But it's—I see what you mean now. Where it's so blatantly, he's written it because it's dripping with just an abject lack of self-awareness. Yeah. He only he could have written it.
2: Everyone encounters people like this who mm. are kind of solipsistically dense. They can't like mm. think beyond their own mind. And I think even describing them as liars isn't capturing it because I think they just literally think different things at different times, seconds apart, right? Because a lie, <laughs> yeah, the classically the you think are... of a lie, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. in my head that I know is true. Mm-hmm. I know that in the box there is a pigeon, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you in the no box there is a catcher's mitt. Yeah. That's a lie. Whereas Paddy, it's like in the box is you know a photograph of me having an affair mm-hmm. and someone goes, what's in that box? And you go, oh, it's a, uh, it's a pigeon in a catcher's mitt. And he just will believe that then, and Let's just add that belief in because I need it. Okay, now I genuinely believe that. But do I mean, he's the nexus through where you could think about a lot of people. It's just that the other people that are like Paddy would never be in that position to have an autobiography. And I do wonder if his, the choice to make him the northern working class representation For the UK. (laughs) (laughs) The more you get to know who this guy is, it feels vindictive Mm. to have chosen him to be like, that's your lot.
3: He's our king.
2: Yeah. You want more decentralization in broadcasting? Well, here you go. Here's the Northwest. That's who you are. It's this guy. (laughs) That's the archetypal
3: London media executive version working class northern person, which
2: is a thick white man. Who's an, who's I mean, an asshole. Who's an asshole, Important as well. <laughs> yeah. So he goes on TV to talk to Philip and Holly. Mm. And I say he is being rude, but they laugh along because his role is to be rude. And that's mm. funny. Mm-hmm. Like when you're at the zoo and you see a, a monkey have a cigarette. <laughs> it's like, that's funny. We've just got a rude guy here who's going to be rude to us. Because mm. if someone else who was like of the same social status, uh-huh. Was rude. They'd respond to it like someone had been rude to them. And there's just something really weird and telling that Paddy's so happy to play the role. The naughty northerner. Mm, mm. Because he's so happy to be there. Because proximity to power, because he lives in like the hamster wheel of like imposter syndrome, chasing the smoke of Mm. when am I the real celebrity? It's the same loads of people who end up like moving up a social class. Like, Social mobility is its own kind of hell because you're not supposed to be there and everyone else knows that. So you get to perform being like the silly new guy who doesn't know anything is. Oh, it's just me. I'm just Northern. Sorry, did I cough? That's just the coal in my lungs. <laughs> and he's done. I feel like he's like traded in everything in his life and he's damaged people around him. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's just happy to be there.
3: Yeah, that's the essence of Paddy.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's happy to be there yeah as long as like at the end of the
3: day i could have a can and then drive another fast car cheat on my wife say insane stuff about autism
2: and i think actually he is depressed and sad like it is getting to him you can't be that forever i think you have to do a thing to live as the guy who's never done anything wrong do you know what i mean the people you know the people who have never done anything wrong don't know why their friends don't like them don't know why their wife won't talk to them don't know why they've had to go through a divorce I don't know what I've done wrong. You have to hope it comes for you, right? You have to hope that when you get grey, it comes for you in the night.
3: Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis-Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music from Sean Morley and Jack Lewis-Evans. David Callahan is at David Callahan on Twitter and he's bringing his multimedia comedy club Programminate to the Glasgow International Comedy Festival on the 22nd of March. Thank you for listening to Mandos and special thanks to those of you who support our work at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party where you can access bonus content and also thank you to those of you who share this episode on social media. It's good to be back. Hope you're doing all right.
0: I don't know how we're going to solve knife crime and gun crime, right? But I was brought up with a little bit of discipline. And I think if we had a bit more discipline and a lot more respect for each other, we might just sort it out. Thanks for listening tonight, Glasgow. Good night. <laughs>